In the most recent Sunday morning message, we uh, dealt with an account toward the end of John 7 that includes an unsuccessful attempt by the temple security force to arrest Jesus. Not the first time we've seen a failed attempt to arrest Jesus. Let's look at the why of being unable to arrest Jesus until, well, he's ready to be arrested. I'm Pastor Russell Howard, and today we're going one more time beyond the notes. It didn't take long uh, in the public ministry of Jesus for him to sort of run afoul of the religious powers that be of his time and place. The Jerusalem authorities never did like him. From the time they first went out to check him out in concert with John the Baptist, his message was one that ran counter to theirs. Their message was tied to, to obedience. They said to God they meant to them. And when Jesus came preaching a gospel of freedom and grace, well, that gospel, rightly understood, messes with their power base. And so from early on, uh, we have in Matthew 12, when Jesus heals the man with the withered hand, Matthew 12, 14 says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Uh, and, of course, in Matthew 12, they, they failed to do that because, well, Matthew's 28 chapters long. And as of the end of Matthew, Jesus has, yes, he's been crucified, but he's also risen from the grave. We also have alluded, and I, I have alluded to it, and I think Brother Chad also in his Sunday morning message recently alluded to this, this one account where Jesus uh, explicitly, there was a mob that tried to, to grab him, and he... It, it appears supernaturally got away. The incident happened in the, uh, in the synagogue of Nazareth near the launching, the inauguration of Jesus's public ministry. Uh, he has been preaching and he has preached from uh, the scroll of Isaiah in Nazareth. And we won't pursue the content of that message, but let's look at the aftermath of that message uh, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. I'm in Luke chapter 4, verse 20. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless. You will quote to me the proverb, physician, heal, heal yourself. But we have heard uh, what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there are many widows in Israel. And there, there were many widows in, the, in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land, then Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. 
And they rose up, this is the salient point for today, verse 29, they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the cliff on which their town was built so they could throw him down from the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Now, the implication in Luke 4.30 seems to be that Jesus did something overtly supernatural, sort of they had him pinned against the cliff wall about to throw him over, and then, well, quite suddenly he wasn't there. So at that moment, he's not going to die. At the Matthew 12 attempt, this early attempt of the Pharisees to have him killed, he's not going to die. And then we've seen some things in John 7. We've been in John 7 uh, in our Sunday morning messages for a little while now. In John chapter 7, uh, Jesus first indicates that he's not going to go into Judea. Uh, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And we know that was a period of, of well, several, several months that he avoided Judea because they were so hot to, to kill him. But he does go to Jerusalem in the fall of that year for the Feast of the Booths, Feast of Tabernacles. Um, and after he has been preaching some publicly, uh, we see in verse 30, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. So we, we see now for sort of the multiplied time, at least third time, and there are probably more, multiplied times, there has been a, an active intent in the moment to nab Jesus and deal with him violently. But for the first time in Luke 7, verse 30, we get a, a, a glimpse of why. They were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Now, that's an important concept in the Gospel of John. It's an important concept in the ministry of Jesus, and we'll, we'll see it fleshed out here in just a moment. Later on in the same chapter, just a couple of verses, verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees once again send officers to arrest him. And we don't know what became of that, but we know he wasn't arrested. And then finally, on the very last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, where he stood up in the message that, that was from this most recent Sunday, our most recent Sunday morning message, um, the officers who had been sent once again to arrest Jesus, return empty-handed, verse 45. They came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. Now, they don't say that he pulled a Luke 4.30 and sort of disappeared in front of them. They seem to be implying that just upon approach to him, the sheer authority of his teaching held them at bay, but there's something supernatural going on sort of behind the curtain in the realm of God's sovereignty that we shan't miss. Uh, later on in John 8, once again, Jesus is teaching in the temple, and once again, his teaching is causing major heartburn to the Jewish authorities. And we see in John 8, verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury, that is the preaching he was doing, as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Exactly the same language is used in chapter 7, verse 30, and chapter 8, verse 20. Their inability to arrest Jesus, their inability to do him any violence, in spite of their 
absolutely intending to. It's not that viewed from earth, Jesus was doing anything supernatural. Perhaps the crowd would have interfered. Perhaps the sheer authority of his teaching stymied them somewhat. But what's really going on on the level of ultimate reality, the level where the living, living God is orchestrating his plan, the fact of the matter is they can't arrest him because his hour has not yet come. Now, again, that's an important concept in the Gospel of John. So I'm going to steal a little bit from our future preaching of the Gospel of John and fast forward, if we can, to chapter 12, right after the triumphal entry. Now we are in the last week of Jesus's earthly ministry. And uh, as he now is approaching the cross, he makes a statement in John 12, verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So this concept of the hour having not yet come now is fulfilled as we see the cross looming just days away when Jesus begins to speak of the hour has come and then he He talks about the fruitfulness that comes as a result of dying, here specifically as a result of him dying. And then at the beginning of his last night of his earthly ministry before the cross in John chapter 13, verse 1, that evening begins with the Last Supper, which the Gospel of John hardly mentions. And then after supper, Jesus teaches the leadership lesson with the washing of the feet. But John opens his view of that night in 13.1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. And then I think the final reference we see to it is in John 17. Now, we've talked about this before, the, the heartbeat passage, the core passage in the Gospel of John is this this series of chapters and chapters that cover his teaching in the last night of his earthly ministry. It starts at 13.1, and it goes all the way till his arrest in chapter 18. So chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, five chapters. We've had cases in John where one chapter has covered multiple years. Here, five chapters cover a single evening. And as, as Jesus is beginning what is called by some commentators his high priestly prayer, this great prayer of Jesus that is recorded in John 17, this is the last recorded prayer of Jesus we have as he is preparing his heart and the hearts of his disciples who are overhearing this prayer for his uh, now merely hours away death on the cross. And when Jesus had spoken these words, speaking to his disciples and encouraging them, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Down the years of his earthly ministry, they repeatedly attempted to arrest him or kill him. And often the word of God says they couldn't do so because his hour had not yet come. And here, as probably The the temple police are already en route to the Garden of Gethsemane with Judas Iscariot, the traitor, leading them. Here, Jesus prays to his father and says, the hour 
has come. So what are our takeaways from that? Well, first and foremost, right on the surface, the takeaway is Jesus Christ is Lord. He was, he was Lord in eternity past. He is, he is Lord in creation, according to Colossians 1. The baby of Bethlehem was the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's Lord during his earthly ministry, and he is, a, he is Lord at his arrest, at his crucifixion, at his resurrection, and his ascension, and ever since. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he, in his mastery, is controlling the events, fulfilling the Father's will regarding even his own sacrifice. When you look at the events around the death of Jesus Christ, do not see a victim to be mourned, see a Lord to be worshipped. And the second takeaway that's a bit more intimate for you and I, he's not just in charge of, of the epic events of history. He's in charge of the events of your life. doesn't mean everything's going to be the way you'd want it to be. But it does mean that there's never a moment where his mastery fails. It's why praying to him matters because he's in control of all things. It's why following him as Lord matters because he's in control of all things. It's why the fact that he loves us so very much matters because he's in control of all things. And he's working all things together for good for those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. You can't arrest him till he says you can when the hour has come. Hey, I hope by now that you have, you've liked or subscribed, depending on what your platform is. I hope you're sharing these podcasts with your friends if these are a blessing to you. And it is always my joy to be with you. We'll see you later on Beyond the Notes.